Hey, this is Bradley Weber. I'm the pastor of Release City Church, and this is our podcast. I'm super excited that you tuned in, and I really hope today's message encourages you, gives you a sense of hope, and inspires you to pursue all that God has created you to be. Now, let's jump right in to today's message. Me and my husband here got married March 1st. I know. I know. I was testing him. See, he knows. 2013. We dated for nine months before we got married. Um, Both coming out of relationships prior. I think I was in a three and a half year long relationship. Two weeks later, I got with him. Nine months later, I was married. Pretty quick. Um, When you know, you know. Um... Before we dig too deep into this, I want to know who is the longest married couple in the room. So if you've been married 20 years, raise your hand. 25, 30, 40, 45, 50, 50. Oh, oh, going once, going twice, 50 years in the back. Hey, stand up and give her a hand. Stand up back there. Stand up back there. That's awesome. That is awesome. So my grandparents, my mother's parents are 89 and 86 years old. And this year um, coming up, they will celebrate 69 years of marriage in August. Definitely role models in our lives for sure. For sure. Met in the Navy, was married young like us. I believe they were 20 and 19 or 19 and 18, and we'll be going on 69 years of marriage this year. We were 21 and 22 when we got married. Who's been married the least? I know a newlywed couple is in the oh, back. Yeah. Yep. What is I'll- it, a week? A week and three days. A week is- and three days. Is anybody newer than that? Yeah, yeah. Give it up for them. A week and three days. That's awesome. Congratulations, guys. Congratulations. Want to talk about Dennis? All right. So <clears throat> when we got married, it was just um, us, Paul and Janelle, um, Sabrina and Kelly, um, Dennis and Robin, Robbie and Carrie. Robbie and Carrie, and then our best friends at that time. Um, I feel like I'm missing somebody. Am I missing somebody? Um, so we were young, like we said, he was established in his career. I was going back to school, so we didn't have a lot of money to throw at a big wedding. And it was one of those trickling down effects. Well, if we invite our parents and we got to invite our aunts and our siblings and then our siblings, children and our cousins. So we're like, we'll just, we'll just keep it with the elders of the church. Um, I think we both worked that day. We ended up coming home, um, got married. Dennis is who married us. We met in church. Um, so that helps too. And a couple months after we got married, Dennis spoke over our lives. And in 2013, at the end of 2013, um, he said, Adam and I will be ministering to broken couples. Now, I'm not one to talk in front of people. I do not do it. I stay in the back with my kids, and I'm good. Um, So when he told us that, I'm like, he may be, but I'm not. Um, And then... And on December 3rd, 2017, he said, Adam and I will minister to split families. Adam and I both are um, product of divorce. Both of our parents have been divorced, um, remarried. 
So split couples is, we, we know how to preach to split couples. Um, side note, if you guys get spoken something over your life, write it in the back of your Bible. It will come to play later. It's nice to remember those little tidbits. For sure. And to add on to what she said, you, you wonder as a younger couple and you have someone here that's been married 50 years and, and many of you are above 30 and, and even more above 20, you, you wonder how that message is going to get across when you're young. But working at a school, and there's a couple in here that, that work at my school, um, it's amazing what someone, a child in the fifth grade will tell you if you have open ears and you're willing to listen. Some of those little guys at the, on that campus say some of the most profound things sometimes that you've ever heard. It doesn't have to come from somebody that's more experienced than you or someone that's older than you or someone that has done it longer. You can learn from anyone if you're willing to listen. So it's, it's a little bit nerving getting up here, but when you know that something's been spoken over your life and you have prayed on it and God has spoken a word to you, I, I feel like this is something that Everyone is going to get something out of, um, regardless of how long you've been married for. Um, I truly, I truly, truly believe that. Um, so let's just get started. Um, how many of you know that God is very serious about marriage? God's very serious about marriage. Our world and the circumstances and, and the current times that we live in, I feel doesn't do marriage any justice as it pertains to how God wants it to be. Most of the time when your marriage hits a hard place and you're going through a storm together, just about anybody, unless you're, you have sought someone that has godly wisdom, will pretty much back you when you tell them that you're thinking about getting a divorce. And it doesn't matter what those circumstances are. Most of the time, your friends, your family, um, Whoever it is that, that you've went to, unless you've went to someone that really, really has godly counsel within them and has God's word within them, will back you. They will be your cheerleader and tell you, yeah, man, that's, that's what you need to do. You need to pick up your toothbrush, you need to pack up your stuff, and you need to, you need to go start over again because they're not, they're not worthy of you. So I, I want to just kind of give you, yeah, I want to give you what God says about marriage God's word says that marriage is a union of man and woman into one flesh, a covenant before God sealed by solemn public vows, a revelation of the eternal bond between Christ and his church. It's an expression of the Trinity and it's a living embodiment, embodiment of the gospel. That's how serious God is about marriage. And I have two scriptures for you here. And if you're not, I encourage you to take notes. Um, we were going to try to print some of these out, and if you want these notes, um, we can print them out for you and give them to you if you're not able to get anything, but I just want you guys to just sit back and soak up this and, and try to take this because I feel like every single one of us in here that are married, um, that are single, ready to mingle, or that are mingling but not married yet should really try to take as much of this as you can and implement it because this is stuff that... God's given us here recently stuff that Pastor B said within the last couple of years that I've jotted down on notes knowing that this calling was coming and that this, this prophecy from Dennis Weber was going to be fulfilled because um, we could feel God pulling on us to, to speak on marriage and it, it came to pass that 
you know, we didn't get to go to the one marriage conference this year because Jensen Franklin's church wasn't doing it. So I knew that now, now's the time. This is it. This is the time. Matthew 19, 6, Jesus says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That is powerful. That is powerful. And I didn't put this in my notes, but it's been bothering me all morning long. I feel like one of the major things that we get wrong in marriage is we put our children first. I hear when I was on patrol, so many, so many domestics that you go to talk about, you, you listen to them and you're trying to figure out what's going on and you hear them say, my kid is more important than he is, or my son is more important than she is. I've got news for you. The Bible does not say that you're one flesh with your children. They are a part of you. They're half of me and they're half of her. But without this union right here, there would be no them. And I know that might be stepping on a little bit of toes this morning. And I tried to not even put it in here. And it's not in here. For those of you that get this, you won't find it. But that is the God's truth. You are one flesh with your significant other. And that is it. And I feel like that, paint, that painted picture at home that your children see that your wife or that your husband is number one in your life is so important to them when they start dating and they start seeing other people and having feelings for someone else that they know how they're supposed to be loved and how to be treated. Our kids will, Bryson, he's older, he's old enough. Jenna doesn't bother Jenna yet, but me and Sarah will be, you know, uh, public display of affection in the, in the kitchen. And, and he was like, gosh, y'all, but that's good. That's good because that's the way I want him to treat his wife when they have children. I want, I want him to be affectionate and loving and caring and the protector of his household and to see that, hey, you're the leader. You're the leader and how you treat her matters. And when you have um, a blended family like we have, even though half of him may not be bloodly mine, but you still, it's your spouse over your kids. So if we are not on the same page and we're fighting, what do you think the kids are going to do? The kids are very manipulative as it is. You know, if dad says no, they're going to come to mom to see what mom says already. But if mom and dad aren't on the same page, it's going to trickle down to the kids. So even if you're blended, it still goes into effect. Absolutely. So Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. That's Proverbs 18.22. So as we know, Adam and Eve were the very first couple, right? The first married couple. <laughs> just to add in, me and Adam, we would go to Starbucks, not anymore because we have a reward, so it just pops up as Sarah now. But before we had Starbucks rewards, we would go to Starbucks, and he would order first. His name would be Adam. I would order second. I would always say Eve. I don't think any barista ever caught on to that. Not one person. For years. It's so sad because most college kids work in Starbucks. It is so sad that their knowledge of the Bible, none of them... I don't oh, think Adam we, and Eve, that's Did we cool. encounter nope. one? Nope. Not one. Zero. Caught on to like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Side note, sorry. I'm the goofy one, he's the serious one, so it's okay. Uh, they were created in a place called Eden, which means pleasure, pleasure and delight. God intended for them to live in an environment of peace, abundance, and love. With work and commitment, God's intentions for our marriage are still obtainable today so peace abundant and love is what God wants every relationship is going to go out it's not going to have peace 24 7 
Go ahead. I don't, I don't think that there's some guys in here. You'll be serious with me. How many of you, when you were smaller, loved Batman, Superman, the, the X-Men, all of those superheroes? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say only like three. Come on, so, guys. <laughs> I mean, I loved superheroes. And I don't, and I feel like God has designed us. It says that where we're two or more are gathered in the presence of God, that he is there. When a, when a Christian, when a marriage has the foundation and God is in the midst of their marriage, that marriage should be like an explosion. There should be an abundance of joy, an abundance of hope, a peace. When, when I hit rock bottom in my life and, and got saved and got baptized, Bryson was already born. And even though my parents went through a divorce when I was nine and there was violence involved, there was alcohol involved, and I had been exposed to all of that, God had created within me a desire to do it right and to be a godly husband, to be a godly father. But until we see it modeled correctly and until we understand how to be godly, you can't. You can't. That was my strongest desire was, was to be a godly husband, but you have to see it modeled, and you have to study and, and let, God, let God build that up within you. And it's not too late. It's not too late. So I, talked, I spoke about divorce a second ago and how I feel like the world waters it down in the, in the magnification of it, but I've got news for you today. God hates divorce. Hates divorce. Malachi 2.16 says, The man who hates and divorces his wife, and this works both ways, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. He does violence. She does violence. It works both ways. Many individuals in marriage have the false ideology that getting a divorce will only affect them. But that's false. This church has been a part of families that were in leadership roles getting a divorce. And I can tell you, it, I compare it to a nuclear bomb. The explosion of the bomb itself might not be large. It might be isolated. But the blast wave off of a nuclear explosion that has heat, that has radioactive materials, travels for miles. Think about, think about a rock thrown into water. The ripples will go all the way out to the edge of the pond. The, the, the explosion of that rock on the surface itself may only be the size of this table, right? The splash and everything, but those ripples carry, and they affect your children, your children's children. They affect your family members. They affect your friends. They affect your church family, your coworkers. It, it affects everyone involved, and it complicates relationships because... People have a relationship with Sarah. People have a relationship with me. Well, if me and her separate, well, how, how does that relationship work now? Do I want them to feel like, you know, I'm picking Sarah over Adam or, or that I'm picking Adam over Sarah? It, it has such huge magnifications, but the world doesn't paint that picture for us. The world makes it seem like, oh, it's going to be easy. Just slip your toothbrush out of that cup and pack your stuff up and go start over again, and it's not that big of a deal. I can tell you as as someone who had a child out of wedlock, even though it is a beautiful situation and, and she gets along with Beth and Beth's mom, Julie, cuts both of our hair and we get along well, we see the hurt 
that still resides in our son because that relationship did not work like God had intended it for. And even though, like I said, it's a beautiful thing, there's still hurt involved. And we, we go to his, all of his things together. We get along. We're cordial. It's still not the way God designed it. And until we can do it the way God designed it, you're not going to get the fullness of what God has for you. Amen? Amen. Malachi 2.15 says, Has not the one God made you? That's a question. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. What is this saying? God hates divorce because it destroys the godly seed. The devil is after your seed. If, if he can get to, to us, then he can get to our children, and he can get to our children's children. Amen? Jimmy Evans said, A burglar doesn't need every window and door to be opened or unlocked. He only needs one vulnerable spot to access the inside and destroy everything on the inside. Just one. Just one. Just one. Not the, the, all the doors in the windows don't have to be open. He just needs one spot. And if we allow him to get a foothold. See, I don't, I don't want to spend much time talking about the enemy, but it's, it's important to know how the enemy works. See, the enemy will get us so busy and so overwhelmed with everything that we can become involved with. And, and for those of you that are close with me and Sarah, know that we've dialed it back some because we got to a place when we were building our home and she was in nursing school and we were having children and I was running a lawn business, still doing law enforcement full-time, being the commissioner of a baseball league, being involved in our church. You think that all that stuff is great, but there has to be a healthy balance in what you're doing. Because if, if all of that starts taking away from my responsibility as a husband and my responsibility as a father, then it doesn't need to be. If, there, if there's a job that's requiring me to be in a place or, or be somewhere too much that it's affecting my marriage in a negative way, you've got to surrender that thing to God and say, I trust that you're going to take care of my finances, but I can't continue to do this this way because I have responsibilities. And he's going to honor that. I don't know, I just got a little bit of chill bumps because I feel like that's for somebody in this house. But the devil wants to attack you where you're most vulnerable. And when you're not around your, <laughs> you're smiling, when you're not around your significant other enough and that intimacy is not there, things start looking better somewhere else. And that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Remember, one foothold, that's all it needs. Adam, he's preached many times about how his dad showed him one thing, and that's how to be a provider. So what is Adam going to do? Adam's going to provide. He's going to work and work and work and work. And until I express, like, dude, slow down. I mean, that's all it takes is one foothold. If that's work, he was a provider. That's great. We had our bills paid. <laughs> but what did Cole just say? What's, what's money if this goes away? So I, I think about it like this, and I've said this in some of my previous messages, but it's so relevant. Have you ever seen a place where water is dripping off of a building and it's landing on concrete? Concrete's harder than water. Eh? Anybody dispute that? But after years and years of that water dripping off of that concrete, have you ever seen where it will, it will make a hole in the concrete where it has dripped so many times and hit the same place year after year, day after day, rain shower after rain shower, 
That's where the enemy wants to get us. It's not in one power-packed punch that he knocks you out. It's the slow body jabs of the course of time that begins to alter your view or turn your vision or seep into your mind. Because if he can get your focus, and he can, Bradley said this in regards to something else. I don't remember if it was about marriage or not, but if he can change your focus or change the vision of your eyes, then he's got your body because it starts right here. It starts in the mind. So we combat this by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. We're going to give you some tips later about how to have a better marriage, and that's one of them, is keep your eyes fixed on God. I don't want to get too much in my notes, but if it's just, if it's just me and her, think about it like a rope. If it's just me and her, that's just, that's just two, two filaments wound together to create that rope. But the Bible says that a three-ply cord, which is the husband, the wife, and God, when those three are wound together, it is very, very hard to break. So I'm going to talk about a story in the Bible, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with it, but if, if it's okay, I want to paraphrase it a little bit. And it's off of a, a message that Jensen Franklin preached, I think back in 2012, it was the year before we went. Um, it, it's about the story of Hosea. Are, are, is anybody familiar with that story? It's a, it's a story that kind of has two different themes. It's, it's the relationship painted um, as the relationship was between God and Israel. But Hosea was a prophet, and he was an obedient prophet. And when he began to pray about who he was to marry, God told him to go marry the prostitute, Gomer. Does that make any kind of sense? An obedient prophet is told by God to go marry the prostitute, Gomer. And if ever a marriage they had the right to divorce. This is the one. So they get married. She is doing well. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this story a little bit. She, she's not a prostitute anymore. She, she loves the way that he's treating her because he grew up in a godly house, and he's, he's a godly man, and he's a good father. He's a good husband. They have three children, and in the Bible it says that the three children actually had the names of some of the mannerisms of how Israel treated God. All three of their children had names of sadness and of anger and, and, and of an adulterous nature. So they're doing well, but the Bible, it, it goes on to say that eventually she fell back into prostitution. And when he began to pray about what he was supposed to do, God said, you go get her and you take her back. That's how much God hates divorce. That's how much God hates separation. That's how, that's how far Christ went for us before we were saved and before we were made whole. All of that stuff that we did to him and all that sin that we committed and the sin that we will continue to commit has all been covered. And it just, that message stuck with me so hard that even after that, she was a prostitute before she became a prostitute again. And it, it goes on to say that he actually had to go buy her back. That she had went so far that he had to go buy her back out of, out of prostitution. And, and what's so amazing about that story is you want to get more information about how, um, how their life went and what happened to them. But the only thing the Bible says 
is that he obeyed. It doesn't say what he had to get through. It doesn't say how he felt in the process. It just says that he obeyed. And if we will obey God, that is such a powerful, powerful thing in our marriages. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to read you this. Marriage was instituted to be a lifelong promise between a man and a woman to be faithful and to help one another. Under the Lord's guidance, Hosea married Gomer, a woman who would commit adultery. Many of you know Chip Gaines. I found this right. This was like God's confirmation to me that we were going to speak. I, I don't read this kind of stuff too much, and, but sometimes it, it pops up on my phone, you know, after I'm done with like a sports article or something that I'm really interested in. And um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I knew as soon as I read this, I'm like, all right, all right, all right. They had asked Chip a question about his marriage, and this was his response um, with Joanna. One thing that I would say is our superpower is that Joe and I are not quitters. And this was, like I said, this was in response to a question about whether there had been a moment where they had thought about throwing in the towel. He continued, I mean, throwing in the towel is not something that honestly never even comes to mind. And I would say that happened pretty early in our relationship where we just thought that's interesting that divorce and or leaving one another is really not an option for us. You know, that crisis, Joe and I had multiple opportunities. It was a, it was a financial crisis that they had come upon from what I gathered. Um, that divorce or leaving one another is not really an option for us. Sorry, I lost my spot. You know, that crisis, Joe and I had multiple opportunities to quit and throw in the towel, and that was just not in our DNA. So now I think we've taken that and realized that, you know, it's like you can't ever lose if you don't ever quit. I heard Bradley say that in one of his messages recently, that we got to remove the no quit option. The the I quit option. We got to remove that from our marriage and say, I'm not going to quit. That, that's not something that crosses my mind when we hit controversy or when we have an argument or when we see things a different way. We, we got to pull that out and say, no, we're going to work through this. And I think, I think that's a big part of what's changed in the past is older couples and speaking with my grandparents. That wasn't so much an option back then as it is now. The world has made it so easy and so convenient to just move on to just move on and start again. And he continued, he says, and Joe and I, and this tells you it's not perfect. They, I'm sure they are very wealthy financially if I had to take a guess at that one. And Joe and I keep showing up day after day. Sometimes it's right, sometimes it's not, but we keep putting one foot in front of the other. Amen? It's one day at a time. It's one foot in front of the other. I, I look at it like this, and, and Jensen said it in his message um, that we watched. If, let's just say Sarah meets 80% of my expectations, that's 80%. But the devil can make our eyes change to where that, that neighbor's yard, that grass looks so much greener than, than the grass of my marriage. Well, we need to start watering and fertilizing our own grass. Because if you're not careful, your, your attention in your eye gate changes and you become so focused on that. But if we would refocus on the one that, that we're in covenant with and the one that we're one flesh with, and we would start putting that energy into each other and try to fix the wrongs and make them right, 
that grass can get greener right where we stand. We live here in Levy County, and, and I find it so interesting sometimes, and I used to work on a farm, so this was a very fitting analogy um, when I come across it in Jensen's message, but you ever seen a cow extend his neck through the barbed wire of a fence, and he's eating grass over on the other side, and his neck will be dripping blood, but the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's not. So the devil will get us to a place, if we're not careful, where we're willing to trade in the 80% for that other 20. And we can't allow that to happen. We cannot allow that to happen. So I was going to say something. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. So, no, I'm going to keep on rolling. I just, I, I said I wasn't going to get up. Sarah told me I was going to get up, so I wasn't, I'm not going to get up. But we cannot allow the enemy to get us to a place where we're willing to sacrifice all of the Thanksgivings and all of the Christmases and all of the birthday parties and everything just because of the 20% that she may not meet for me anymore. We, we can't, it goes back to that ripple effect. We, you, you're going to sacrifice all of these things because they're never going to be the same again. And it's going to continue to affect your children. And we talk about it, sorry, we talk about it every, every Christmas and Thanksgiving because we come from broken homes of how frustrating it is that we just can't be in one place and, and celebrate a holiday we got to go spend time with her family. we got to go spend time with our family. Bryson leaves us half the time to go spend time with his family. This is not the way that God designed it. We should all be able to stay under one roof and be, and be one. Grandparents be one. Marriages be one. The children be in the same house. Amy Weber will back me up on this. I, I would almost say 99% of the troubled kids that we have at our schools come from broken homes. There are a few that their mom and dad is still together and live in the same house. And those marriages are, are not healthy and there's violence that they're being exposed to. There are still those kids. But as a whole, the most troubled kids that we have at Bronson Elementary School have no dad in their life. Mom is not in the picture. They're being raised by grandparents. This is not, this is not God's design. And I feel like the devil has such a stronghold over our country because of marriages. The, the success of this country starts in the success of the home. And the husbands need to learn to be leaders and learn to be godly husbands and godly dads so that it, it all starts from there and it, and, it, and it ripple effects through to our children. And now how our children are seeing um, relationships. And I used to go work a detail at, at Doberly Farms and there was this one song that was played, um, and the, everyone would go nuts, and it was so loud, and the bass was so loud, you couldn't really understand the words, but I went on my way home that night, it was a really, really catchy tune. I looked it up on my phone and actually played it on my phone through the speakers of my car as I was scrolling through the lyrics as I was coming down the dirt road really slowly, safely, safely. <laughs> Don't get too carried away with that. In the lyrics of this song, some of the stuff that the devil is allowing to enter into our children, people my age and younger that are in college now, 
is insane. I'm not even going to tell you the song because you don't need to look it up and listen to it, but it blew my mind what this individual was saying and how he lives. Just absolutely insane. I thought the devil was about to jump out the speakers. I'm like, you better get that off. Yeah, I, I told her about it, so she went and listened to it. <laughs> I was on my... <laughs> Go ahead. At a red light. On my way to work, I listened. I'm like, let me hear. That was a good beat. I'm going to work really early in the morning. And I just knew there was a car about to run that red light and kill me because the devil's <laughs> up in my car. I didn't know. I knew it wasn't going to lightning strike because it wasn't lightning or raining outside, but I just knew I was about to... Devil. It was, it was terrible. So... For you newlyweds back there, if your marriage hasn't come upon a place of trouble, it's going to. The storms will come, and it's just a matter of time. But the Bible says that when you're going through the, in in Hosea, it talks about the valley of Achor, A-C-H-O-R. What Achor means is trouble. So from now at this point forward, I'm probably going to say the valley of trouble. But in Hosea 2.15, it says there... I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. A door of hope. You can go through hell together if you got good company. How, how much better is a task that you're not looking forward to when you have help? Our house, we got two little tornadoes that are four and two years old that rip through our house. And a teenager. And we sit at night when we put them to bed and we just sit on the couch and we just look around we're like oh my god i'm like all right i'm gonna do this you do that and we're gonna meet back here on the couch (laughs) tasks are so much better when you do it together ecclesiastes 4 9 this is the new living translation two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed if one person falls the other one can reach out and help Sometimes after we laugh. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. That just reminded me of, I told him this morning, I laughed. I don't know how many people are going to get this, but it reminded me of Forrest Gump. When they're in the mud, what do they do? They put their backs together and put their heads together so neither one of them their heads Bubba that mud. said it, you lean up against me, I'm going to lean up against you, and we're going to keep our head yeah, out of the mud. mud. <laughs> I didn't know how many of you would actually remember that. Me and her watch movies, and, and it can be years since we've seen the movie, but we will still use lines from that movie. You'll never see your marriage for what it could be if you're focused on where you are. You got to, I think you said that actually um, a couple weeks ago, but You'll never see your marriage for what it could be if you're only worried about what it looks like right now. Right now. There's power. There is is power in acknowledgement of your marital problems. Just be careful who you say it to because you can get get wrong information. You can get wrong information. I don't want to touch on our notes coming up, but be careful. But there is power in acknowledgement of your marital problems. Yeah, I see it. Don't worry, I'm going to get y'all out of here in time for your meds, okay? <laughs> Sorry, B. <laughs> 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 
God wants to do more in your marriage than you could ever imagine. I touched on it earlier about abundance and hope and peace and love. God wants those things for your marriage, but you can't be so focused on where it currently is that you can't get a vision for where, what it could be and where it's headed. Okay? Marriage can actually be stronger where there is, where there is hurt. You know, when you get injured and, you're, and you break a bone or you fracture a bone and that bone heals, it actually heals stronger than it was before the break. It is very, very difficult to break a bone, a healthy bone, in the same place twice. And that tells me that through hurt, a marriage can get stronger. All of you are still here. No matter what you've went through, no matter how dark it's been, you're still here and you've made it through on the other side. And if we will allow God to fully heal us, it, it doesn't matter how much sin has been in our home, how much arguments and, and strife and conflict and all of that stuff. It, it doesn't matter if we'll allow God to heal us fully. The, his word says he will provide us with a door of hope. The val- in the valley of trouble, if we will grab each other's hands and we will walk through this thing together, there is nothing that you can't get through. Your marriage is always salvageable. If you're still together and you're still here, regardless of, of what you've walked through together, your marriage is always worth salvaging. Always. When God looks at us, he knows who we are and he knows what we're capable of. And he, he places things in our path. He, he allows things to be in our path. He allows troubles in, in the valley of trouble to come upon us, not because he wants to see if we can make it through it, but because he needs us to see that we can make it through it. I'm here to tell you, mine and Sarah's marriage, despite what many people think, is not perfect. We have an outstanding marriage. It is a great marriage, but it has not always been perfect because I mess up. Because I mess up. But it's, it, he needs us to see for ourselves what we're made of and if like I said grab each other's hands and walk through it together and say I'm not going to quit and he will give you a door of hope amen, amen. amen. oh me still so I just want to give you some facts because every time I hear this this scripture right here it just makes me think and, and you could read this scripture and preach a whole message off of this but it, it, it touches my heart just soak this up love is patient Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. We're not going to be perfect. We're not. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's love. See, it's impossible to love your spouse the way that God wants you to love them if all you do is constantly keep a record of wrong. If you're, if you're constantly thinking about everything that they've wronged you, you can't love them. That's just the hard truth. You cannot love them. See, marriage is give and take, and you're not always going to be putting forth the same amount of effort. That's, that's just the facts. Sometimes we fall off and the other one is, is pulling double duty and then sometimes it switches. But love keeps no record of wrongs. 
And if we will, and we heard some, someone say this in one of the marriage conferences, it just came to me, but I can't keep a scorecard and her keep a scorecard and, and, and I say, well, I've done this. I've done this and this and this and this. How much have you done? No, no, no. We need to take and make one scorecard and say, look at what we have done. Look at what we have done together. Not me compared to her, her compared to me. But let's, let's put this thing together because we are one. And say, no, this is our scorecard. Look at what God has done in our marriage. Look at how many blessings he's bestowed upon us. And, and look at it that way. So we're going to get into the tips. Bradley, I'll never get on to you again. Um, it's 12.01, sorry guys. Tips for better marriage. Our first tip is communicate. Communicate and communicate some more. You cannot over-communicate. Day-to-day planning, expectation, and raising your children. We were watching years ago, right after we got married, Creflo Dollar, he, he's a pastor. He's, he's really good. He said, um, I have questions. When you're on your first date, you see these couples who don't talk or they go to the movie. How are you going to go to the movie on the first date? you got to ask some questions. How's your mama and them? How, you got a job? Where are you spending money at? What kind of house do you want to live in? you got questions. you got to be on the same page about this stuff. Me and him, I mean, within our shift, I mean, obviously there's days where it's busy. I'm a nurse at Shan, so you can imagine bedside is really busy. But you still have to communicate. We don't make a decision until we talk to each other. Um. If we can't get a hold of him, if I can't get a hold of him one day because his service is terrible at his school, guess what? I don't commit to anything until we actually have a discussion. We text and we call several times a day. There was one, I'm about to throw you under the bus. There was, <laughs> there was one day he answered the phone and he's like, why are you calling me again? Who do you think you're talking to? No, this was many years ago. I'm like, ain't talking to nobody, click. Served him right, he ain't never done that again. I don't recall that. (laughs) The blood covers. (laughs) I'm only telling y'all I ain't holding it over his head. Don't worry, I don't bring it up in conversation. Number two, take care of each other's needs. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Our needs are different. Us women, we have different needs than men's may have. men may have. Do you want to expound on that? So I, I wanted Keep to try thinking. to put children's gloves on this, but I think you married couples understand what that means because that can really, really be a wedge in your marriage. But the Bible says in, in a different translation from this, this scripture verse, basically that your body is hers. Her body is yours. And we're not to deprive one another of each other's needs because we're supposed to be submitted to each other. So I'm going to leave that right there because at marriage conferences, you can be real because it's just adults. But we've got some, some young guys, young people in here, and, and I don't want to get too deep with that. But I didn't want to leave it out either because it is huge. It says for a time, like for a fasting time, for prayer time, that, and, and it be a mutual agreement that that may be something that we stay away from for a time, but that you come back together so that the enemy doesn't tempt you in a way that you know that I'm talking about. So that's all. 
and here's another one for communication. When you communicate, you have to communicate seriously too. There's a lot of on the surface communicating that we do um, with three kids comes sports, it comes staying where, you know, do we have a sitter to do this? There's a lot of communication service level, but you also need to have those deep conversations. Like we'll come together, you know, not every night, but how am I doing? How am I doing as a wife? What could I be doing better? And it's not a pun on me, but it's me seriously wanting to know, hey, what can I do to make this marriage much better? And he does the same thing. Or if I come home aggravated, he'll ask me, like, you good? You need to talk about it? And we'll get to that in more points. But you need constructive criticism. It, it is okay to get. I don't have to get defensive if he tells me, he has never told me this, but for example, if he comes to me and says, hey, you're really slacking on the laundry, I'm not going to come back at him. Well, you haven't done da-da-da-da. No. We come together and we figure it out. When we got married, I hate laundry. He hates the dishes. Guess who did the laundry? And guess who did the dishes? He did the laundry. I did the dishes. Compromise. I told you you can go through hell together. <laughs> <laughs> Man, when you got a house of five, that laundry don't stop, Okay. It doesn't stop. Every time we turn around, Bryson, I need my clothes washed. I'm like, God, do you wear three pairs of clothes to school every day? But no, those conversations are hard, but they're a must. And if, you're, if you find it hard to approach your spouse in those quiet moments after we put our kids to bed, you know, and, and we have that moment together, hey, how am I doing? Then put it on the calendar and say, hey, Sunday after church, while we full of Jesus, we're going to sit down when we eat lunch, and we're going to figure out, you know, what am I doing well? What do I need to be doing better? What are some, what are some areas that are bothering you? Make, make it mandatory. Make it mandatory and do it regularly, how, however regular you need it to be, okay? Because that, that's, it's huge. And can I steal it? Mm -hmm. be, being vulnerable in front of your spouse should be a safe place. It should be a safe place because you're one flesh. You're one flesh. You're not two. You're one. So being vulnerable, naked, in front of your spouse should be a safe place for you. And if it's not, then work at it to the point that it becomes. Because when you can be vulnerable in front of your spouse and they can see you for your strengths, they can see you for your weaknesses, it strengthens your marriage so much. Like I said earlier, admitting your marital problems, there's power in that. And God can work with that because we've placed ourselves in a position to say, hey, I need your help in this department to be better. And it's the same communication with her. Support each other emotionally. Man, I feel like I'm throwing you under the bus a lot. Um, he already knows I'm going to tell this I told story. told you it's me that messes up. <laughs> not true. True, but not true. <laughs> Support each other emotionally. We're going to have rough days at work, right? So one day, just, what, two weeks ago, a week ago, I come home. And I am frustrated at work. And when I tell a story, if you know me, I get all amped up all over again. I'm not, I can't just monotone this story for the second time. Like, It'll be 10 years ago, she'll be sweating at the brow when she's done telling the story. True. So I come home and I'm telling him this story about, doesn't matter, aggravated me. It ain't had nothing to do with me. I was completely out of the situation. I just heard the story from another nurse telling it. I was super aggravated. And he looked at me, he... You gonna calm down? Okay. I do remember this one. 
So then the next day he comes home. Yeah, Bryson raising his hand because he remembers it too. <laughs> but Bryson didn't witness the second one. So he, the next day he calls me on his way home. Oh, maybe, maybe he did. He was so aggravated. He's telling me this story. He's all amped up. And it was the very next day. And I just said, you going to calm down? <laughs> and in that moment he was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> Did you have anything to add? You were going to add something serious to that, but I don't remember what it was. Okay. Point six, selfishness and independence destroys the spirit of marriage. Giving and sharing create the strongest bond of intimacy possible. That goes with communicating. Selfishness and independence destroy the spirit of marriage. We're one. We can't be independent. It's not all about what Sarah wants. It's not all about what Adam wants. It's what we want together. Giving and sharing create the strongest bond of intimacy possible. When you know that he's not doing his own thing and I'm not doing my own thing, we're coming, we're communicating, it makes it all better. A girl at uh, one of the ladies at work, she told me, she was like, I don't know why my husband or my son just can't make a decision. He has to wait for his wife. He can just say if he's going to be there or not. I'm like, mm, it's not really how that works. Yeah. I remember what I was going to say about, I know we, we made a funny out of it as far as supporting each other emotionally, but a lot can happen throughout the course of a day. Just one day. You know, when we leave each other, at, she leaves usually around 5, 50, 6 o'clock in the morning. And when I'm done with baseball practice in the afternoons, I don't see her till right around 7 o'clock. A lot can happen, and you can get caught up emotionally in some of the stuff and some of the stuff that you have to deal with at work, especially with the two of us. She's bedside. I'm in law enforcement. A lot can happen. A lot can happen, and we need to make sure that we're saving a reserve tank of energy, of, of calmness, of understanding, so that when we get home, that's our safe place. And if we're not careful, and I'm going to steal one of our points coming up, but if we're not careful, we can take our frustrations out on our best friend. On the one that we're one with, we can come home and just completely just dump that stuff out on them. And we don't have a clue what they went through that day. So we got to be really, really careful and make sure that we've got the energy and we've got the patience to hear them whenever they come home and to, and to let them get it out. Because that, that's what we're there for. You, you call your best friend when you get mad, and you tell them what's up, right? Because that's your best friend. That's your safe place. Well, this is my best friend. This is my safe place. And I should be able to tell her how I feel and, and her actually listen to it and her actually care, right? And not just watching the TV, flicking through the channels going, yep, mm-hmm, yep. No, give her your attention. Turn the television off. And, and hear what your spouse has to say because they need you to be there for them in that moment. My flaw's coming up. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take this one, all right? I'm better at this one. I told you I'm the one that messes up. Be quick to make it right. Don't be so prideful to not be willing to say that you're sorry. The sooner, that you, the sooner you make it better, once you, you, can, you can take some time. I'm not saying that you got to right after kind of a, a little tiff that you got to immediately, you know, humble yourself and I'm sorry. Sometimes it happens that way and sometimes you, you recognize that immediately. But being that surrender to God that we talked about, 
when you calm down and those emotions settle and you've had, had a moment, the Holy Spirit will convict you and let you know that you are wrong. You were, you were wrong in that moment. You, you let it fly and, and you need to go make it right. And that is, that is so important. Don't be so prideful not to say you're sorry and let that next day rock on and you make another mistake and you make another mistake and you make another mistake and you haven't apologized for any of it because there's that wedge being driven between you and you're, you're not that tight cord anymore because the Holy Spirit is playing his part as, as, the peace, as the peacemaker and he's letting you know, hey, you were wrong in this situation, so make it right. Amen? I, I am horrible at apologizing. That's my flaw. I'm, he, 90% of the time he'll come to me and apologize first and then it's like, okay, now I'll say I'm sorry. That's why he took that one because... I'm working on that. So I'm, I'm going to do a little building block on that one. So it's also very important that as maybe I'm the, I'm the subject of the wrongdoing, that I don't continue to carry that condemnation. And we're, we're almost finished because I know it's getting a little late. But don't, don't continue. When you apologize, she – is that yours or mine? I'm just going to take it. When, when I apologize, she needs to immediately be the recipient of that apology because God has forgiven us for everything that we've done and everything that we're going to do, and he knows that we're going to mess up. So I know that there's going to come times where she's going to mess up, and she knows that there's going to come a time where, where I'm going to mess up. And when that happens and they come to you in that vulnerability that should be their safe place and they apologize and you don't take it, they're not going to be so apt to apologize anymore because of how they felt when they got naked in front of you and they apologized for what they did wrong. You need to be right there ready to accept that so they can let that condemnation go because the enemy loves to use condemnation in marriage and you feel like you've done wrong and now, now they're going to, there's, there's that double scorecard again, so, so I wronged her, so now it's going to make it right for her to wrong me and he will play that stuff in your mind that because I screwed up in this particular area, well now that gives them a pass to go screw up in that area and here comes the insecurity and when that insecurity starts to build up in there, it becomes a dangerous thing because now I'm feeling angry. Now I'm feeling like, oh, I'm just waiting for it. She's going to do it to me because I did it to her. And there comes the arguments and there comes the manipulation and, and you trying to go digging, digging to see, oh, she's going to do it to me. So be quick to make it right. Be quick to make that condemnation, to let that condemnation go and know that she forgave me. God forgives me. And which one am I missing? Be, be quick to, to make it right. Be quick to let the condemnation go. And the other one needs to be quick to say, I forgive you and I love you. That was the one that I missed, right? And when that works that way, you can, you can fix something in a hurry because the Holy Spirit is going to help you do that. Next one, keep your friends and family on the front porch, on the porch. And here's this is Dennis Weber right here this, during our premarital counseling. It's my turn for the mic. Don't steal my words. <laughs> so what that is saying, if there's an argument and every time we argue, I run to my mom. Guess what he did to me every single time. Now, how's my mom going to feel about him? Guess how Christmas is really going to be. So. On the flip side of that, though, if there are issues, you got to know who you can talk to and know that they're not going to judge either party. 
So when issues do arise, because they will, you have to have that godly influence. Not your worldly friends, not your people at work telling you, oh yeah, just divorce them, you know? You got to have the godly people who are going to say, no, y'all are both wrong. Here's where y'all both need to. But if there's fighting and you guys work through it, um, keep it, keep it between each other. We had, um, I had a close friend actually griping to me about her husband and in a safe zone. Um, and she was like, oh, well, you won't understand. You and Adam never fight. (laughs) I mean, we don't yell and scream fight, but we have disagreements, plenty of disagreements. It's just because we don't share every disagreement with our friends and our family, they don't have a clue. And that's how it needs to be. Absolutely. Next one, don't bring up old points of conflict. See, if we're not careful, every time we get into an argument or we have a difference, if, if we didn't settle that last point of conflict that we had, then our flesh will want to bring that thing back up again. No, you need to put that baby to bed and deal with the next conflict as if you've never had a conflict before. Because if that stuff continues to build and continues to mount, you'll, you'll never settle anything because you're, you're bringing up dead topics and stuff that you were supposed to have already forgiven one another for. Except the apology for. Yes. And so don't, don't, don't bring up stuff that's already already been resolved every time that you get into a disagreement okay okay yeah so i'm going to do one more and then he'll close it out um have a vision a plan and a goal when me and adam before we even became um a couple we hung out a lot but before we made it official we had a vision, a plan, and a goal. You need to have those conversations. How much are you, are, are you? It's either. Do you love Jesus? Those conversations need to be had. We both said the the very first time we hung out that we wanted to be done having kids by the age thirty. That's a plan. Our last kid was born. August eighteenth. Eight days later, he turned thirty. We succeeded in that plan. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor Young, for preventing any more. Um, <laughs> But you have to have a vision, a plan, and a goal. Sit down and write them down. Check them off when they get completed. Create new goals. Our goals 10 years ago is not our goals now. Create new goals. Spend a long time with God every day because there are certain things that you need from God that your spouse cannot give you. And that's where the third part of that cord becomes very, very important. You, you, her relationship with God is their relationship and my relationship with God is is my relationship with him and then there's our relationship together with God so I pray separately she prays separately and then we will come together and pray together okay because we got to stay healthy in our relationship she needs to stay healthy in her relationship with him and then we'll stay healthy together amen I think it was Jensen, I could be wrong, but they put, at one of the marriage conference, they put a triangle, and they put God at the very tip of the triangle, husband and wife at the side. As you work your way up the triangle together, as you work your way to God, guess what? The couple and husband and wife are coming closer together at the top. Our next point, drawing closer to God will bring you closer to your spouse. Ecclesiastes 4.12, that's the scripture says a cord with three strands is not easily broken. You, your spouse, and God. And then our last point, 
is focus on one area as a spouse that you want to improve on. One area. Because you said this, actually. I took this from you. Inconsistencies will never bring about change. You have to become consistent in something and in one area at a time because you can't take all of this stuff that we've just given you and if multiple things, you know, kind of spark something within you that, hey, we need to get better. Don't try to fix all of it at one time. Cole will tell you, you can't fix but one part of a car at a time. You got to fix this and then go fix that. You can't physically fix both of them at the same time unless there's more than one person involved. So she can be working on an area where she knows maybe she's not the strongest and I can be working on an area, but it's one area at a time. It's one area for her. It's one area for me. Um, Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise the small beginnings because the Lord enjoys to see the work begin. Good intentions will never bring about change. You've got to take a step. That's all we got for you guys. Our prayer this whole time has been that we will help strengthen, help a husband want to be a better husband this week, help a wife want to be a better wife this week, and that it will strengthen you guys because we truly feel like marriage is, is the beginning of where it all happens. So I pray that you guys got something from this. Um, Bradley and Ansley graciously um, are going to sing a song for us that I requested for them to sing. But if, if you're comfortable for you married couples, I want you to stand and face each other for me. Can you do that for me? And hold hands. Well, thanks again for tuning in. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. For more content from Release City or just to stay connected with us, be sure to check us out on all of our social media platforms at Release City Church or through our website at releasecitychurch.org. We love you. And until next time, the best is yet to come.